1: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Streaking stocks, the major average is going for eight straight weeks of gains. That is the best run in years. The Investment Committee now debates how to play things as history suggests. The Santa Claus rally starts today. Joining me for the hour, Joe Terranova, Stephanie Link, Jim Labenthal. Let's check the markets. We're green across the board. PCE was good. The data was good. Nike, not good. Nike's on pace for its worst day since September of 22. That's taking about 100 points off the Dow. So the Dow doesn't look as good because as bad as Nike is today, which leads us to our top story for the very reason that the lady who told us Mm. she was scared to death going into this number says she's selling it going out of the number that's it just sell it
2: yeah first i think the quarter was fine i don't think it was terrible it was exactly as i expected we were talking yesterday actually about flat revenue growth we got flat revenue growth but we also got better profitability, which is the thing that kind of kept me in the name. Yeah. I mean, it was much, gross margins were much better than expected.
1: Outlook, though, no good.
2: But no, the outlook was not very good. And so it's like an opportunity cost is really what the way I'm thinking about it. I think that they will eventually get to low single, low double-digit, upper single-digit revenues eventually, Scott, but I don't know the timing. I think it's actually been pushed out as a result. They have a product cycle that's happening next year, but that's going to take a long time to get into the system. So for me, I think there are just better other ideas elsewhere within retail, but also within the broader market. Do think
1: this is um, dead money?
2: I do. I do, at least for the next six months. I really do. And so I would rather take that money. By the way, I'm up on the position a lot. The stock is still up 27% from the lows seen a month and a half ago. So I'm I'm taking some of the profits and I'm going to deploy them into other things. I just think right now I don't necessarily need to buy something with the market, you know, kind of on a tear.
1: This says that the 15% run since November 1st was bogus, that it, it was built on...
2: No... I don't think bogus. nothing. No, 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 no. That's too. That's way too too well, too. Well, it's tough. giving
1: back eleven percent now.
2: But it's also up from the lows. It was up thirty-seven percent from the lows, recent lows a couple of months ago. I know, but so.
1: January first to October thirty-first, the stock was down like twelve percent. Yeah. Everything that we've seen of late for this name has happened since November first till today right. or till yesterday before the sell-off happened after earnings.
2: Right, and I think that the excitement was from the analyst community, we talked about it, four upgrades, all kinds of reiterating buys, upping targets and all that sort of thing. So the setup was terrible going into the quarter. But I think the the excitement was on the margin side. The inventories are falling. Freight costs are falling. That's really, DTC is rising in terms of a percentage of, of total revenue. All that's really good. So their gross margins expanded 170 basis points. That is huge. The whisper was 160. They gave guidance last quarter of 100. So they really blasted right up, right uh, out, out there. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, I think that it was just a lot of people got excited on the top line expectation. And I I just never had that. I think eventually you're going to get that. But you just didn't get it this quarter. So it was ahead of itself. Stock was ahead of itself. It's not like it's not
1: like the street today is is overwhelmingly negative. You got one downgrade. Okay, TD says they're taking it to market perform from outperform. They cut the target 104 from 129. Jan Rogers, Niffin, who was on with us this morning on Squawk on the Street, wasn't too concerned either, said they're going to get it right. Um, they're on their way to doing so. I'll come to you in a second because I got to go to you first, Farmer Jim. You sold the
3: stock not that long ago, correct? Last week. Last week. That
2: was a good call. Um,
3: yeah, I mean. Some of it had to do with the luck of my timing of getting in right after the last quarter, which was...
1: festive, that's what I'm calling you for the rest of the show. Yeah, yeah.
3: Let's see if if we can stay this way through the whole show. (laughs) I don't know. Just missing a Santa hat. Okay, all right, but uh, well, (laughs) Santa didn't come to Nike shareholders, we'll say that. No, he did not. Um, Look, this, this is a turnaround story. I mean, apropos of what you were saying about the first half of this year, actually most of the year that the stock was down, people were looking for a turnaround. The last quarterly report gave a very good sign that the turnaround was in place. But with the guidance and the verbiage, the commentary that we got last night, I, I think there's considerable question. First off, no signs of help from China. That's an important part of the equation. But what you really didn't want to see is softening of demand in North America. Um, and you, you did see that. You it was did, in line. Steph-
2: it was in line. It was down 4%, no, but, but that the, was what expectations were. The verbiage
3: were. is that that they're seeing softening. You're out of the stock. Why are you defending it? Because I, mean, I, didn't
2: think, it. I don't really think the quarter was the problem.
1: The commentary on the quarter, is my
2: point.
3: Stephanie's right, though, the,
1: the the quarter was actually okay. The, it's the, it's going the guidance going forward where they see forward, softening, what they talked about, softening sort of globally in North demand. America. Right. You can't no, they, have that. They talked globally about sort of consumers softening.
3: Yeah, which includes North America. You can't have that. At this point in a turnaround, you can't have it. Now, I don't think Nike is fatally flawed. That's not what I'm saying. Where I agree with you is for the next six months, it's probably dead money. Right. Because when a stock turns around, not from a fatal mishap here, but from a cyclical downturn, when a stock turns around, you need two quarters in a row of good performance. You don't have it. It's reset You're after
2: right. this and, quarter. And the valuation. So this is like in con- contrast to Target, which is also a turnaround story, but it's trading at 15 times forward estimates with margin upside this is trading at 30 33 times forward estimates it's right up against its average so there's just no room for error
1: joe you sold it november 1st
4: yeah we sold it november 1st you out, own Lulu. out of the joe etf um, if you walk back and see the reason why it was initially placed in the etf it was because of momentum it wasn't in fact the quality metrics that we observe. The reason that we sold it was the deceleration in the revenue growth. It was, it was clearly that Nike was losing a little bit of that qualitative nature. Um, there are stocks that have a stronger degree of sensitivity if you would, to the macro. And Nike clearly is one of those stocks. You know, if you think about everything that you heard yesterday, what you continued to hear was promotion, promotion, promotion. Heavy promotion. Why? Because they're up against a challenged macro environment. Very similar to what FedEx said the day prior. And I think to Stephanie's point, I don't see the improvement of that over the next six months. But
1: you're not seeing a lot of discounting across the board in retail. I'll I'll just go back to the conversation I had with Niffin this morning, who knows the landscape better than anybody, said you're not seeing a level of bloated inventory and incredible discounting like you you might have in the past. So maybe this is in some part a singularly Nike story, that Nike needs to get its you know what together. And it's not a read through to any level on any other retail. But does does any other retailer have the the magnitude of the exposure globally
4: that Nike does? I, I mean, I would make the argument Nike is is so heavily exposed. Exposed geographically like no other retailer that we could really mention. So I, I don't know if that's fair. I think Nike's doing the right things. I think Stephanie's right. The margins were okay. They're embarking upon a $2 billion uh, cost-saving initiative. It sounds like they're doing the right things. It just sounds to me like they're acknowledging it's China, it's Europe,
1: it's the Middle East, it's weak. I mean, on the same day that Wells takes price targets up across its coverage list, yeah. Burlington, Gap, Ralph, Ross, TJX, Tapestry, VF, you have have TJX out of that list?
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, and that's not cheap either, but that's like a compounder. They're benefiting from all the excess inventories that we've seen over the last several years. And they actually increased their comp guidance last quarter from three to 4% to four to 5%. Like that's unheard of for for TJ, in my opinion. I've owned this thing forever. And it's like kind of like a two to 3% comp kind of story. Well, four to 5% is a material uplift and they have pricing power, believe it or not. So um, I really like the story. It's, just, it's not cheap, but you, you buy it on the days when they report earnings because that's always, it always sells off on the news, and you get an opportunity. You got
1: TJX, Burlington, and Ross out of this list. Yeah, yeah. And, and out of those
4: three, look, the TJX has been consistently strong uh, for the better part of the last 18 months. Burlington's up 40% this quarter. It's still down 6% on, <laughs> on the year. So let, let's be careful with that one. Uh, Ross stores up about 20% on the quarter. It's up 19% so far on the year. And then there's also Lulu. Lemon, which is up a staggering 61% year-to-date, 32% on the quarter. So I identify those four retailers, and to Steph's point, I think it is TJX and Ross that are kind of benefiting from some of that bloated inventory. I'd be careful on Burlington. It's had a very aggressive price move, not so much necessarily you seeing a little bit of improvement in the fundamental conditions for the company.
3: So, here's, here's where I am on this. This Nike report tells me, at least, that the handoff back from services to goods in terms of consumption is still in its infancy. We're, we're not there yet. And you can look at TSA Traveler counts. you can look at airline you know, demand, you can look at Las Vegas demand and see that consumers still wanna have experiences over goods. At some point that will change. But right now, I am very selective in where I'm invested in consumers buying things. I'm not across the board. I suspect at some point in the first quarter, I probably will get more enthusiastic about the stocks that you guys are talking about. But for now, I'd rather be in those experiences and when it comes to consumers buying things, it's very specific things where I have a thesis, whether everybody believes in it or not, I have a thesis like, hey, we need new cars, so I'm in GM, that sort of thing. I think the upshot of what I'm saying is, and I think you two will agree with me, we got to pick stocks right now. This is not to, I'm sorry, whoever put that research report out, it's not across the board, just go buy retail. There are going to be haves and have not
1: nobody said just go buy retail i was uh, just giving you like seven names where price targets got bumped up
3: okay i thought i heard you say that one of the banks there was saying that they were no wells raised the this.
1: price targets on those on their across their
3: coverage list that's what that's what i mean see that's not what i would do that's not what i would do i would not go out to the whole sector and say well the whole thing's going up because the nike report just told you it ain't, it ain't but all they've right? got Some seven stocks, stocks in their
1: coverage list they didn't say the whole sector that's neither here nor there let's move on pce <laughs> data today stuff <Steph, laughs> it's <laughs> good great. Does it make you feel better about how far we've come in a short period of time and where we may go from here as the calendar flips?
2: I mean, it was really good news. Uh, last week, it started with CPI, PPI. This week, it's it's been about uh, core PCE. I mean, the best number since March of 21. I mean, these are great numbers. And, and the Fed has a dual mandate of jobs and inflation. And jobs, yesterday, we got initial claims at 210,000, four-week moving average. So that's still very, very strong. Wages are good, solid, um, but moderating. That's good. And now you have, you have the inflation piece that's totally going in their favor. So I do think this is very supportive of a cut in the first quarter. I mean, actually, this time yesterday, I was wondering, maybe it's going to get pushed out because the growth in the economy has hung in there better than expected and maybe inflation will stay kind of stubborn at 3%. But these are really wonderful numbers. And you look at the three-month average numbers and they're even below two. So I think this is good news. Well,
1: you talk about cuts getting pushed out. I wonder whether Joe Gaines got pulled forward. And when traditionally mm. the Santa Claus rally starts today, December 22nd, whether some of it's going to be muted in any way because of what's taken place over the last six weeks. Krinsky, BTIG, if Santa Claus should fail to come or fail to call, uh, bears may come to broaden wall, um, suggesting that if you don't get that Santa Claus rally that people expect, you could be set up for downside. You want to entertain that? He's been, look, I think it's fair to say he's been more negative Um, over the last couple of months. I know he's a technician, but he hasn't exactly been a raging bull.
4: Yeah, let's address this, and I want to be very specific on this. I I think the areas of the market that have outperformed year-to-date, whether that's semis, whether that's mega cap tech, I, I think you have to have somewhat muted expectations from the moment of today into earnings in the second and third week of January. I still think you're on the offensive as it relates to the broadening out of this rally. We see it today with the Russell outperforming once again. I still think you're on the offensive until you move into January and then it's a prove it moment for earnings. I think the last thing that everyone has to understand and I think the magnitude of what happened Wednesday afternoon should not be lost upon anyone. There are some out there who are day trading the market. I don't tell people how they should implement market strategies. You want to go do that? That's fine. I'm not judging you. But what you should know is with zero-dated options present, anything is possible on a day-to-day and an intraday basis. And we witnessed that on Wednesday. So as you move through this Santa Claus rally period, it's a low-volume, low-liquidity period. Mm -hmm. And just be aware You could very easily see the market 1.5% higher or 1.5% down on any given day. And it means nothing, means nothing to the longer-term direction. Well, we
1: saw it two days ago. The market sold off hard within the last hour. Yesterday, the market reversed and got not all of it back, but a substantial portion of it back. Michael Hartnett, Bank of America Flow Show. We always sort of cite the data that they get there. It's a good read into what institutional clients are doing. Third week of Treasury outflows. Longest streak since February of 21 largest equity outflow since December of 22. Now, you've had massive rallies in treasuries, Jimmy, and you've had a massive rally in equities. So at some point, something's gotta give. And you've had the largest tech outflow in 15 weeks. So they're selling the, the big winners and they're selling the big asset classes that have had unbelievable gains since November.
3: Yeah. Um, still, if we were to look at the price of, pick a stock, NVIDIA, Microsoft, they're pretty darn near their 52-week highs, and this is after a stock like NVIDIA is up, what, 290% year-to-date? I think the point that I'm driving at here is what you were alluding to, Scott. We've had one hell of a massive rally in everything, right? I mean, the last two months alone, the S&P 500's up 15%. The equal weight is up more than that. Um, if we spend the next week digesting that combined Thanksgiving dinner and Christmas feast, I think that's okay. I think that's okay. I have no comment on the zero uh, expiration options. I mean, it's it's outside of my world. But in terms of fundamentals, I think I'd actually like to see a pause over the next week because we already got the Christmas rally as far as I'm concerned. What I'm more concerned about is next year. And what's going to matter to me more than anything, Fed's on the sidelines, right? I think I'm comfortable saying that is earnings. That's the big debate. Are we really going to get 12 percent earnings per share growth in the S&P? 500. Uh, well, in the first couple of weeks of January, we're going to get some pre-announcement and then the banks will come in. That's what I'm looking for. Should
1: we to. be, you know, people are going to decide whether they're comfortable with earnings or not. Should they be uncomfortable with valuations, particularly in, in mega cap? I asked the question because today our call of the day is from UBS, which says short NVIDIA and they're bearish on tech. <laughs> We're bearish mega cap tech with short NVIDIA, where we see the risk of a 20 to 30 percent correction in the first half.
3: Literally of, short,
1: literally, literally short.
3: short. I mean, is this the Credit Suisse operation? That well, they I mean, bought? just because well, the stock was up
1: 200 and something percent this year. Does that mean it's going to just continue on that
3: amazing clip? Here's here's my thought on this, okay? As I said, 290%. But think about the drawdowns that you've had and the wild upswings, right? Um, in not exact order, but sometime around July, the stock hit 500. And then in August, I think it was August, it was down at 400. I mean, that was a breathtaking 20% drop. And then it jumped back up another 25%. Now, the point of this is if you want the sort of gains that you get from a stock like NVIDIA, you have to pay the price, which is volatility. Now, that's likely to continue as you go forward. But, boy, that is dangerous to short a stock like NVIDIA, anything could happen. Even That's... if
1: you just take out the idea, Joe, of saying, okay, let's short NVIDIA, should we beware of NVIDIA? And some of these other mega caps for the incredible moves that they had and where their multiples have expanded to. So That's the larger question rather than whether you should be tactically short the name or not.
4: Could NVIDIA fall 20%? Absolutely that takes you down to the 200-day moving average. That could absolutely, without question, happen. What is the fundamental catalyst for that to happen? You might discover something in the upcoming earnings that disappoints the strong revenue growth trajectory that this company has been on over the last four quarters. Um, It's it's not going to alter very much my ownership my my ownership of the stock. But I think a lot of people, if they saw NVIDIA down at the 200-day moving average at $400, would be more inclined to buy it there than to go short it there. But it absolutely could fall 20%.
1: I mean, the the year-to-date gains, again, just to remind you, MegaCap, I know we sort of make these blanket statements, oh, they're up a ton. Just to refresh your memories here, Apple's up 50% year-to-date, Microsoft's 56, Alphabet 60, Amazon 82, NVIDIA 235, And Meta, 193. I mean, you know, you start to like, where are you going to get a nosebleed uh, up there?
2: Well, I've been trimming Meta, and I'm actually now underweight the position just because of what you just said. I mean, up 193% year to date. Um, It's not expensive, though. It's actually kind of reasonable for the revenue growth that you're getting 24 times for 25% revenue growth, which is actually accelerated throughout the year, and it should do that again next year. Um, I just feel like everybody's involved in these names, and I'm definitely welcoming the broadening out. Broadcom has actually done quite well. Lamb Research has done quite well, not as well as these others, but I think that they're good 2024 stories specifically because they have specific situations. But I also like the fact that CDW is under the radar screen, and that's up nicely this year, up 27%, and it's attractive, and I like the PC market uh, and the bottoming there. Ford, and that we talk at no- nauseam, right. IBM. You know
1: what we don't talk at nauseam about? I'm sorry to cut you off for a minute. Uh- Analog devices, Joe, which, which you own, I saw two positive notes on a stock that I can't remember the last time we talked about.
4: Well, we should. With any great detail, that's yeah, for sure. And, and Well, th- listen, this stock has had a dramatic recovery from the lows that it was at uh, at the end of October at 154. So it bounced significantly where it was at the end of October. It was relatively flat on the year. So it more recently has gotten an upgrade. Um, It's gotten an upgrade from Edward Jones. You're beginning to see a little bit of a recovery. But I I think the real tell for these types of stocks is Texas Instruments. Right. Mm. I'd like to see Texas Instruments begin to participate in the semiconductor rally. It hasn't done that. So I'm not going to sit here. Yes. It is something that we own. But I'm not overly excited about analog devices like I might be KLM Acorp, Corp, like
1: I might be Lamb Research. I mean, it was um, UBS, which said they <laughs> like ADI, and it was Edward Jones that actually gave the upgrade. How do we feel about Broadcom?
2: I like yeah. Broadcom. <laughs> <laughs> I like Broadcom. I mean, I ask the question,
1: because if we're going to talk about Nvidia, let's mention some of these other chip names. As we've said, the SMH, I think, has had their best year in 20, yeah. right, since 2003. So, this stock's up a ton, too.
2: It is. you feel
1: nervous it, about that or no?
2: No, actually, because, um, well, first, it, it trades at 24 times forward estimates. Estimates are actually going up because of the VMware deal, actually uh, by $15 <laughs> a share. So it's 30% accretive, and it gets them 50% software exposure, recurring revenue. So when I said specific special situations for 2024, this is a special situation kind of story, in addition to why it has rallied year to date because of AI and them doubling their networking business uh, throughout the AI channel. So to me, I like it a lot. The story kind of changes though for 2024, which is, Again, one of the reasons why I'm staying with a big position. So
4: as as we're having this conversation about are certain stocks too extended, NVIDIA, Broadcom. You mentioned Meta. I'm sitting here and, so I can and I'm name, looking.
1: I could name 200 that, right, have but, but, that are but, insane. Right.
4: I, I, OK, I'm, that's fair. But, you know, I think you would agree. Those are three stocks where you think about them. They're kind of all stars for 2023. And they're certainly very popular names for people to be invested in. Yeah. Each one of these stocks relative to their 200 day moving average is 20 percent above it in terms of where prices. And in the case of Broadcom, it's nearly 30 percent above the 200 day moving average. And I'm going to cite that for reason. Because if you study technicals, the sweet spot generally in a bull market to be above a 200 day moving average is 11 to 15 percent. So without question, when you're 20 percent above a 200 day moving average, and in the case of Broadcom, nearly 30 percent, you are very overextended. All right.
1: So we're going to take a break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to talk about a stock that Jim Labenthal says it's time to lean into. We also have calls today on the banks on BlackRock, Regeneron, and the one that Jim is going to tell you about next. some of these calls. So, Steph, Oppenheimer says they're bullish on the banks, even with the rally that we've seen since the October 27th lows. Bank of America, Citi, Goldman, Jeffries, Morgan Stanley, and U.S. Bank.
2: Yeah. So I own Bank of America and Morgan Stanley. Bank of America is flat on the year, even with the rally. And it trades about one times book, Um, I think. And they actually just reiterated about two weeks ago their net interest income for the quarter and expenses for the quarter. And they were basically right in line. So now you're waiting for fees and what they can do with fees. And I think it's going to be mixed. But I do think that they can continue to cut costs while we wait for fees to actually rise. And so I think you have operating leverage there. American Express actually also is a, is a big position for me too, Scott. Um, and they actually released November data. Loan growth of uh, loan balances up up 15 percent. Delinquencies only up 50 basis points. Net charge-offs actually down uh, 70 basis points. So these are really good numbers. And that stock trades at 16 times forward. So I like that one as well.
1: Jimmy Festive's been telling everybody he knows to buy Citi. <laughs>
2: right? I
1: have. You're making the case. You like what Jane Frazier's doing.
3: I, I really do. I've actually liked what she's been doing all along. I mean, she's been in the driver's seat for two and a half years, but the market for the first year and a half really didn't give her any credit whatsoever. Uh, maybe that's because they didn't focus too much on the international operations, which she spent the first 18 months rationalizing. Now she's going hard at the domestic business, hard. She's cutting expenses. She's cutting unprofitable businesses like the municipal bond underwriting and distressed debt trading business. Um, I like what we're seeing here. We're getting a lean, mean, fighting machine out of Citigroup and frankly the analyst community is starting to take note so I I like what I see here. Joe, Morgan Stanley is the one you've leaned into. Yes, I'm back at Morgan
4: Stanley. I'm trying to correct my mistake of selling out of it in October. As I said the other day, I think the destination is well above $100. The d- business is well diversified, and the wealth management business has been, ex- been executing perfectly over the last several years. I've owned Bank of America for many years. I sold that in October. Steph, uh, y- you mentioned Bank of America, and I immediately think the distinction between Morgan Stanley's ability to really utilize the wealth management business to drive the revenue growth and then Bank of America. And I just think there's a crown jewel embedded in Bank of America, which is Merrill Lynch. And they can't seem to have the same type of similar realization that Morgan Stanley's having with their wealth management division. I'd love to
1: see them address it. That would clearly drive me back into the stock. Speaking of um, asset managers, BlackRock, Top 2024 pick at Evercore ISI. Outperform, price target goes to 860 bucks from 825.
3: Those shares are up 22% in three months, Farmer Jim. You know, sometimes the investment thesis just becomes so th- so simple. I-, I almost wonder if I'm simplifying it too much, but this is a business <laughs> that makes money through fees on assets under management. Just a second ago, we were talking about S&P 500's up 15% over the last two months. I don't think anybody had that in their operating model uh, for BlackRock. And by the way, as we've also talked about, it's been an everything rally. Bonds have rallied as well. Now, that may not continue at that pace through 2024, but I certainly I believe the financial markets are going to be strong and healthy throughout 2024 which means earnings are going up because fees on assets under management are going up. Assets under management are going up. It's that simple.
1: Joe Regeneron today gets its target to 11.25, <clears throat> excuse me, from 1050. That's at Oppenheimer outperform you on that. Boy, that's
4: that's that's a long way uh, to 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 go. Um, I mentioned before, you know, the distance between the 200-day moving average this is a stock that we added to the ETF in January of 2022. So we've got a 40% gain. The stock is up 16% year to date. Um, this is a reasonably valued healthcare company at 24 times. This is a company that uh has a market cap of close to 100 billion dollars. Um, I don't see anything in terms of the revenue growth or, the, uh, or deterioration in the balance sheet that would drive us out of the position. Mm-hmm. The momentum is well entrenched, and I think the setup for 24 is a strong one. So
1: CVS, CVS Health is the one that we teased in the prior, uh, before the prior break, uh, the one that you said it's time to lean into and buy.
3: I, I, I really do
1: believe Price that. Price target goes to 94. At HSBC, they agree with you. That's 22% upside underachieved attractive and under underappreciated attractive and undervalued
3: here's what happened at CVS from 2020 through 2021 the stock doubled and then a whole spate of bad news came out you had the CMS stars rating on their Medicare advantage plans come in badly that was about a year and a half ago <laughs> then Mark Cuban won uh, a Blue Cross account and then there were questions about the acquisitions that they've recently made of Signify and Oak Street Health all of that negative sentiment has reversed and it's for good reason the the Medicare Advantage Star's ratings have gone up, which increases their profitability. The investment community understands the acquisitions much better now. Um, and the new business uh, model that they put out a month ago of how they're going to price their their uh, pharmacy benefits management systems, uh, that has the street realizing that profitability is going up at a company like this that is under-owned and undervalued at nine times earnings and a 3% dividend yield. I, I think this is going above 100 by the end of next year.
1: Okay, let's get the headlines now with Pippa Stevens. Hi, Pippa.
6: Hey. Hey, Scott, the United Nations Security Council is voting now on a Gaza aid resolution after days of delay. The U.S. and Russia abstained. Notably, the resolution calls for steps to create the conditions for sustainable cessation to hostilities rather than just a suspension of fighting. It also calls for the speedy delivery of aid to civilians in Gaza. The Department of Transportation is reportedly probing the frequent flyer programs of major airlines for deceptive or unfair practices. According to Reuters, the agency is looking at whether they are transparent about booking award tickets, transferring miles, and giving notice before making changes. The government is also examining whether miles are devalued over time, making it harder to book award tickets. Major US airlines have yet to comment on the report. And today marks the annual pilgrimage to Stonehenge for the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year. Each year, thousands descend upon the ancient monument, which is thought to date back 5,000 years. Scott, back to you.
1: All right, Pippa. Thank you, Pippa Stevens. Up next, we're hitting today's top stock stories, including a big deal in the healthcare space. Stephanie Link loves it. Why she now has that name on her radar is next. More stock stories making news today, including from Bristol Myers. It's buying Karuna Therapeutics, $14 billion. Stephanie Link, you say you love this transaction. Now you have some Nike money burning a hole in your pocket. Are, <laughs> yes. you, are you looking yes. You looking at this one? Yes,
2: I am. I think this is exactly what the company needs to do. They're going to lose about 60% of their existing drugs to patent off patent uh, by the end of the decade. So they need to build this pipeline. This is the second largest acquisition for the company after the Celgene deal that they did in 2019. And so it's not going to be a huge game changer, but they have to do several of these to get the confidence from investors that they have a Pipeline going forward in the out years. Um, stocks down 26%, <laughs> um, trades at like eight times earnings. That is a 4.6% yield. So I think that is really interesting. Healthcare, as you know, has lagged all year long. Uh, and I think that maybe you can have a catch up trade next year.
1: Jimmy Festive sold this last week.
3: Do you regret doing that? No. I mean, I'm, I'm becoming less festive just thinking about it. Honestly, sometimes you leave a stock, and it's like a, a breakup, and you just never want to have anything to do with it. <laughs> um, you know, Nike, I, I'll come you back know, to. We'll talk about. Myers. Did you want to put up that chart again? That chart was ugly, and that's what yeah, I but felt with you. That's this why Steph sees yeah. opportunity. I, I, you, you know, I'm the king of that, and I wish you well. I really do. I just want to have nothing to do with this <laughs> stock. I mean, it's been cheap forever, and it's gotten nothing but cheaper. And uh, there's other places to play in the health. Care space. I got in United Healthcare, which also had a bad year. So you know, that's that's my regression to the mean stock is United Healthcare.
1: All right. Okay. Uh, Buffett's buying more Berkshire. I mean, uh, more uh, Oxy. Yeah. <laughs> Berkshire's <laughs> buying. Whether you know. Mm. Um, now they own 28 percent. He bought another 5 million shares. He's
4: buying a lot of the shares since the recent announcement uh, for the $12 billion deal with Crown Rock that gives Oxy more exposure in the Permian. There's so much that that I have to say and feel regarding energy because I said coming into the quarter, this is a make or break quarter Mm -hmm. for energy. And it's interesting because my, my my feeling is that what's going to happen at the end of uh, at the end of January is if we pare back the allocation to energy, I really believe while the rules are going to say to do it, I think that probably is going to be the wrong move because what I'm beginning to see is that you are getting a divergence, and the divergence is warranted between the spot price of oil and energy equities. So in this quarter, spot oil is down 18 percent. Energy equities are down 5%. I think the reason for the divergence is that you're realizing that these companies are more efficient. These companies are going out and identifying areas of opportunity to increase production through deals. We've seen that with Chevron and Exxon and Oxy. M&A activity is beginning to stimulate in the energy space. And I almost think if you're investing in energy, stop looking at the price of oil because the price of oil today at seventy three dollars and eighty five cents is in the exact same spot it was in in july of twenty twenty one it's basically gone nowhere over the last thirty months so it's about energy equities themselves okay. and i think that divergence hmm. is good but we'll see what the strategy does at the end
1: of january it might be a fake out in terms of what we do Steph, you take the oxy um, additional buy as yet more evidence of why you like your holdings in that space. Sure. SLB and Fang.
2: Yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I sold Chevron and I put that money in, more money into Slob and into uh, Fang, um, Time of Back Energy, um, because I like those two stories very much and they're very cheap at this point in time. And Slo- Slumberger is the number one player in oil field services and you're getting it for 17 times forward estimates. It was flat on the year. They raised guidance all three quarters so far this year and the stock hasn't really done anything I think that um, the technology innovation is so incredible um, and underappreciated so that's the one if I'm inclined to add to either of these two names that I own I'd still be buying even more and it's a pretty large position
1: okay Um, coming up the committee looking to make more money in the metals gold is breaking out again Jim turning up the volume on one corner of the metals market we will bring you the trades and Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word next Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for?
4: Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now.
1: Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli at the table with us. All right, end of the week, what's on your mind? You know, there's
0: some sense in which the this, this strength, the bid in the market, can kind of seem like a victory lap. You know, we've, we did it. The PCE number told us what we were hoping to hear and what we expected to hear. But um, I think if you dial it back, um, the market has set itself up. There's, it's hard to find real flies in the ointment. You know, as Treasury yields have crashed, uh, investment-grade credit spreads have also been going down. I mean, it's not as yeah. if the spreads are holding up, which means just cost of capital going down. You have the S&P at the same place it was exactly two years years ago ahead of the big Fed tightening cycle now we're on the other side. So it's just tough to to really quibble that much except when you see a little signs of, you know, margin pressure in individual companies and sectors and you start to see maybe some consumer fatigue. How much are we going to step down economic growth, if at all? So I think those those questions are going to hang over this market for a while. But I don't think that we're some somehow precariously perched going into next year on risk.
1: FedEx and Nike, in other words, not enough yet to throw anything over Overboard.
0: I think that's the way to think about it. Now, you know, I'm looking at things like overall discretionary performance relative to staples, overall higher beta stocks relative to low vol. So the kind of risk appetite tells and the cyclical indicators are still telling you that we're okay on that front. But, I mean, you don't ever want to dismiss FedEx and Nike. I do think because of the weird fiscal years, they do get outsized attention because it's kind of nothing much else to to fixate on. So, uh, you know, I never say... You shouldn't worry, uh, but don't get consumed by the worry.
1: Yeah, all right, good stuff. I'll see you in a couple hours. Closing bell, it's Mike Santoli. Up next, we'll give you the trade on gold. The medal's nearing a three-week high. We'll find out where the committee sees the biggest opportunities in the year ahead in two minutes. Welcome back. Metals, they've been on the move. Gold and copper on pace now for back-to-back weekly gains. Gold and copper, fifth positive week, Joey in six. You got the GLD, Freeport, Newcore, Steel Dynamics.
4: It's playing the disinflation trend that's obviously present in markets right now. I think the, the false premise is that you buy the metals, specifically you buy gold in an inflationary environment that's incorrect as disinflation accelerates, you want to have ownership of the metals and the disinflation is intense right now in Asia and other areas of the world. It's going to be imported here to the U.S. I feel very strongly about that. I want that. to talk
1: to you for a second, Jimmy, about steel. If the Nippon U.S. steel deal is off, if it doesn't happen, right? Let's just say for argument's sake, it doesn't happen. You want Cliff to be back in the game?
3: It depends on the price. He's not going to pay any price, but he can certainly I'm talking about Lorenzo Gonsalves. He's the CEO. Obviously, there's a company behind him, uh, but he can certainly ring out synergies. And I'm doing this from memory, but I think he uh, projected 500 million uh, a year of synergies. If they do combine, he's obviously lowballing that. I mean, he's done so many M&A transactions, he knows to lowball it. So it's a higher number than that. But remember, his initial offer was 7 billion. It's now being uh, taken out at 14.9 billion. So, I mean, the price has to come down quite a bit. All that said, There's a lot of noise about this nippon deal and there should be well of course
1: congress is is you know upset about it Um, national economic director lael Mm Brainerd made the comments you know last evening we asked her about it this morning on on squawk on the street about concerns i haven't heard anybody come out and say hey we love it let's do it at Uh, least from the the u.s
3: here's the one government related side one mitigating circumstances is it is being bought by a country that is a strong ally of the U.S., right? I mean, this is not this is not really a national security concern. Um, I, I think probably it gets done, but there is hair on this deal. There's no question about it. Steph, how do you see the space?
2: I'm not involved in steel, but I am involved in uh, Freeport for copper, not necessarily the gold component. But I like it for the infrastructure build out. And, uh, and I think the supply demand metrics in copper are very tight and input costs are coming down. That'll help their margins. So I like that one.
1: All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about why next year could be filled with boardroom battles and activists attacked. Our Leslie Picker following the money there. She'll join us next. Welcome back to the halftime report. Boardroom battles expected to ramp up in the new year as more activists go on the attack. So says our Leslie Picker. Here at Post 9, following that money, as always, what'd you find out?
5: Hey, Scott, so here's a wild stat provided exclusively to us from Goldman Sachs. One out of every six companies in the S&P 500 currently has an activist invested. Some are active, others are just kind of lurking there. Campaign levels are about 8% higher than the average over the last four years. But things could start to ramp up. Between December and February, more than three-quarters of U.S. public companies opened their nominating windows for dissidents to put forth directs. Directors. The environment appears to be conducive with a more optimistic macro outlook, lower volatility, high corporate cash hoards and reasonable leverage levels. Goldman's global head of activism defense, Avi Marotra, tells me, quote, these conditions provide fertile ground for activists to create the foundations to launch their campaigns. And activists are feeling emboldened after having returned nearly 8 percent in November alone, the best performing hedge fund substrategy among the 28 published by HFR. As for what to expect in 2024, I'm told there will be more big cap fights, more activity globally, particularly in Europe and Japan, and more pressure on companies to do mergers and divestitures, Scott. So maybe we're already seeing some of this kind of under-the-radar M&A activity Mm -hmm. percolating under the surface.
1: What impact, if any, do you think the run in the market has had as we make the turn into the new year? And let's just, for argument's sake, say that we have another strong start. Is that better or worse?
5: It's definitely better because if you're an activist, at the end of the day, you want to show those 8 percent returns. You don't want to you could win a proxy fight. And if you have negative returns, your LPs aren't going to be very happy. Also, if you're going to go public with a position, you want to make sure it's going to go up from there. You don't want to be kind of calling for all sorts of things and then having the economy go into a recession. So that's kind of why activism has been was muted, at least in the first half of the year, because activists didn't want to be on the record and then being kind of that last big call before the economy fell off a cliff. Since that. Didn't happen, the market garnering some steam, all of those are ripe conditions for more activity.
1: Okay, the all stars are out in full force too. Nelson Peltz among them with Disney, Jimmy, which you own. That's probably the most high profile one that we need to keep our eye on. Um, by the way, that stock gets reiterated a to buy today at Bank of America. Your commentary, though, To the producers today, I find interesting. Stocks are up. Breath is expanding. I don't see opportunities for them, them being activists, yet you were making the case quite loudly that you were supportive of Mr. Peltz in the stock that you want to see go up.
3: Yeah, and I hope I phrased it properly, which is to say this. When I woke up on that day that he announced he's doing a proxy fight, I didn't wake up saying, boy, I hope Norman Peltz does this. Having said said that, (laughs) um, you know, once he announced that, my feeling is there's only upside. I mean, it can't hurt. There's only upside to a couple of his nominees being on the board. So that's the point that I was trying to make. Uh, and, I, and I do still support uh, Mr. Peltz in that, in that endeavor.
1: It's interesting to hear from a shareholder think that the presence of an activist means there's only upside Mm -hmm. in the stock, which emboldens them to have more campaigns.
5: Yeah, I think it depends on the stock, of course, and it depends on the activist specifically, because sometimes if you're a management team, you would see uh, the presence of an activist as being a distraction. Uh, which can be an issue if you're looking to do a certain strategy, and then all of a sudden you have to deal with a proxy fight, and that's costly.
2: So if activists have a longer voice. time frame, though, than yes. portfolio managers. If, if, if you know what I mean, like because oh, we're yeah. mark-to-market every single day. They have patience to see it play out, which is what Pelts is going to do, because it's going to take a long time for Disney to see a turnaround, because they've got a lot of issues. Yeah.
3: Les, thanks. Why are why are you like this with me today, <laughs> <laughs> Leslie Picker?
1: Final trades next. Closing Bell 3 o'clock Eastern. I hope you'll join me because we got a great show on this Friday. Dan Greenhouse joining Alicia Levine with me Kevin Simpson new trades and Chris Collinsworth. Can't wait for that because we got to talk about this Peacock holiday exclusive game that we've got in our family bills chargers and the exclusive wild card game as well. So we got a lot to talk about two games coming up tomorrow. These holiday double headers and a lot ahead. All right. We also want to introduce the newest member of our halftime report family. This is the best news of the whole day. Our all-star producer, Kara Caruso, and her husband, Arthur, welcoming their beautiful son, Roman, into their family and into ours. We are happy to report that mom, dad, and baby are all healthy and happy. Congratulations. Final trade real quick. Give me a name. TransOcean. Johnson & Johnson. Diamondback. All right. See you on the closing bell. The exchange starts right now.
5: Completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full halftime report disclaimer, please visit CNBC.com forward slash halftime report disclaimer. People today can spend half their lives over fifty. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation.